Alan Ampersand is recorded on the traditional and unceded territories of the Wellastigwell and the Mi'kmaq. Hi, I'm Jenilyn Albert. And I'm Rebecca Salazar. And this is Alman Ampersand. A poetry podcast. Out of Fredericton, New Brunswick. We are so excited to be here today with two poets here on the East Coast. Perry Reimer, who is currently a student at the University of New Brunswick, studying not creative writing, surprisingly, though he is quite the incredible creative writer, doing the academic stream. And we have Matthew Walsh, who is a poet from PEI. Hey, y'all. Oh, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. <gasps> but they're so close together. <laughs> I was so close potatoes. together. Yeah. Chris <laughs> Bailey. Right for the stereotype. Chris Bailey is really jealous that my book has more potatoes in it than his. <laughs> Even the poems that aren't about potatoes have potatoes. Slight potato references. Yes, definitely. We just came from your book launch in Fredericton. I know. And Jenna read. And, and Perry read. Perry read. Yes. How about we start off with both of you telling us a little about yourselves. We'll start with Matthew. All right. Uh, I'm Matthew. I'm originally from Nova Scotia. I've traveled across Canada on a bus twice. Um, I love to read, obviously. I'm a huge cat fan as well. And I like to cook and do things like that. Yeah. And and what is your book called? Oh, my book audience? is called These Are Not the Potatoes of My Youth. <laughs> and it's out with Goose Lane Editions, yeah. which is a Fredericton publishing house. Yeah, an amazing f- publishing house in Fredericton did it. And they were very, very nice to me. Mm-hmm. Perry, how about you? Yeah, so I'm Perry, of course. Uh, I come from Manitoba, most recently having lived in Winnipeg. When I first arrived here, um, I bought a cell phone. And I was talking with the person who sold me this phone, uh, who came from a small town in Newfoundland. uh, And she was telling me that she thought Fredericton was a massive city. (laughs) And at the time, I thought Winnipeg was a small city. (laughs) Um, this but, is a very maritime story. Yeah, this is the most maritime story. Um, but that's not really about me. Um, <laughs> I also like cats. I am currently reading a lot of BP Nickel um, and getting lost in language, which is at times delightful. Um, and uh, I don't really know what else to say about myself at this point. Did you know that BP Nickel wrote for the Care Bear cartoon from the 80s? What? I just really? learned that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he did. That's why Can, he's so famous. Is there like a listing of which episodes were uh, written Probably, probably, yes. prob- probably the weirdest ones. Oh, no, I need But to I think he also did like a couple of <laughs> He did other, other cartoons uh, too. And like, I think Barney at some point. <laughs> Possibly. I just know he did the Care Bears. Just that a feels little. right. Yeah. <laughs> this, this kind of fits his whole absurdist land yeah i think in a way i didn't expect actually but i'm I'm here for it yeah so we're here drinking stale wine and tea it's not that stale it's pretty good <laughs> it's only been in the fridge for like what three weeks <laughs> it's not a local wine is it i don't think so okay yeah yeah we may be shouting out some local wines eventually and shouting at some local wines 
Of course. Or as <laughs> after, <laughs> as a result of. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wine and shouting do tend to go together. <laughs> Most of the shouting will come from our podcast cat, Maggie, who the last episode was really well behaved, uncharacteristically. And uh, you might expect to hear some some howling. Yeah, she's just uh, hanging out under my microphone at the moment, chilling, and may or may not come out to ask you guys some questions later. Oh, oh! I she's thought she was going to ask me. Fan. I thought she was going to ask me something. <laughs> she looked ready. She looked ready. Uh, she looked ready. I was ready as well. She's thinking about it. Yeah. So why don't we get right into some of your influences in terms of poetry i know it's a question that's asked often but maybe we can explore some of the unusual ones ones you didn't expect to find their way into the poems you've written yeah nathaniel at the launch today who works for uh Bruce Lane, said frank o'hara and i feel like i frank o'hara sort of figures into my writing a little bit because he was like sort of funny and weird um yeah so that's that's pretty much there's more let me think let me think a little bit there's definitely more of them yeah perry do you want to chime in sure um i mean i came to poetry through leonard cohen um and like he still like figures into the way i write in some ways but usually these days when i write about him i'm making fun of him (laughs) endearingly of course um (laughs) But yeah, I mean, like these days, I guess I'm more influenced by, um, I don't know, I would like to say more serious poets, but, uh, you know, poets that weren't swayed by the vulgar art of music like he was. And so I don't know, like recently, um, like one of the poems that I'll, I'll read uh, for you guys is like very much influenced by Nicole Brassard um, and like... Uh, BP Nickel as well, like people who are kind of um, interrogating language and the the weirdnesses of, of language, I guess. Um, and I mean, like from decidedly like different uh, positions. What do you think it is that draws you to that like really explicit interrogation of language? Um, I mean, I guess uh, like it kind of goes into my academic interests um and like interests in like the idea of kind of like language as god that which Mm -hmm. creates everything or allows us to understand everything uh in a way and like you see that in in bp nickel where it's kind of like this this speaking out to language um and like kind of learning how to um understand language as more than just words but as like um bodily communication as well um and just like communication that uh goes goes further than words are able to which often kind of like put a constriction on on our capacity to communicate which is weird because we use words to communicate all the time (laughs) um but when doing so we often forget to communicate with our bodies and 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 with like the sounds um, and and other nuances of language that kind of are left out when we focus only on words and like that's something that's that's really interesting to me um, and I think you see that in Passard as well but um, like I'm only familiar with her her work in translation well mostly um, mm-hmm. and so it's a, a different story yeah cool 
sometimes I forget I even have a body when I'm reading poetry. And I know that sounds really weird, but I just picture myself as like a voice or something like that. I just forget about my whole body. It's really weird. I don't know what that means, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I also think Dorothy Alasky is really cool. So she had this yeah. like she just has this crazy voice that kind of just goes wherever and like her poetry is just like so free and like kind of off the cuff. So I really aspire to be like that as a like a reader of poetry, I guess. Yeah, her her latest book is called Milk. Milk is yeah. amazing. It's yeah. so have you read it? It's, it's on so my good. list of two read books, which is way too tall and towering and like flopping over in my room oh my god it's Um, so good but yeah she's also one of the poets behind the astro poets (laughs) which i i bring up like kind of making fun of myself for being so into it but i really love what they're doing i am very much a libra (laughs) Libra. (laughs) yeah what about you matthew what's your sign I'm a Cancer, and a my moon's cancer. in Scorpio, so I'm a little bit psychic. Hey, yeah. Apparently, that's what everything on the internet says. Have you have you done the deep dive on internet astrology, Perry? I have not. Okay. I, I don't know what this moon aspect is. I can tell you that I'm carcinogenic, though. <laughs> As are many of us who have lived in polluted towns, I guess. Yes. And so you're a cancer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. There are a lot of poets who are apparently cancers. Yeah. I think are you in July or June? Uh, July, yeah. Oh, cool. I'm July 2nd. Because um, does that sort of like determine this this moon aspect that you're talking about? I can't remember I where the moon is. I can't remember. Part. If you go to astral, www.astral something something. <laughs> oh, okay, well. If you Google yeah. birth chart and put in your birth time and yeah. it'll, it'll tell it'll you. Tell you. <laughs> A computer will tell you yeah. who you are. Trust the computers. <laughs> oh, yes, the almighty Maybe. computer. <laughs> this goes back to language is God, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I can tie in an unusual image to really apply and explore in poetry. Potatoes. Potatoes. Of all things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I chose them. They're so ordinary, but they're also so cool mm-hmm. because they grow in the ground and grow these long roots and they have eyes. And if you put them in the dark, they look for the light. Um. I just think they're so weird. You have that uh, epigraph at the beginning of your book. I'm just going to yeah, find it now. From Suzanne Buffum. Yeah. So it's from, from Suzanne Buffum's a pillow book, Poets Like Potatoes Ripen in the Dirt. Yeah. I thought of that just now, just because what you said about potatoes, if you put them in the dark, they'll look for the light. And there's yeah. that whole cliche about poets always like finding images about the light and Every poet has written about the light in endless variations and like we can't stop doing it. In school, we did this thing where we put a potato on the windowsill. We put a potato in the cupboard and we put a potato in water just to see what would happen to them all. So like that's where most of those poems came from. And also me and my friend swam one of my grandfather's potato gardens when we were little, (laughs) like a swimming pool and like ripped up every potato in it. So I think that's also in the book. Perry... Having just come from hearing you read, you were exploring, what was the proper term? Not semitism, um, se- uh, not secularism. Yes. Yeah. Right. Post-secularism. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's like part of, part of my thesis, which um, uh, a sort of long but condensed version of the title for my thesis is 
contemporary North American poetry as post-secular prayer. And uh, originally it was supposed to just be secular prayer. Post-secular is a very new term to me and a term that's still kind of being like locked down, um, which I guess I'm participating in that process. But like, and I don't know, it's a weird term because it kind of like talks about, it suggests an after of secularism, um, which is not how I understand it. Um, It's kind of like existing in between uh, religion and secularism while being influenced by and in conversation with both. And so like looking at poetry uh, that, that kind of like functions as, as prayer, but not being explicitly religious. In fact, in, in, in some cases, like very much resisting that, um, but kind of like engaging in uh, the idea that prayer can be a form or a, a method of healing um, and not necessarily a healing that ever has an end, um, but a way of sort of like navigating and learning to cope with the things that, cause pain in one's life um do you think of your own writing in that way do you feel like your poetry is kind of taking on that goal of prayer or healing yeah i mean certainly in some cases i mean like what kind of brought me to the project was um i was studying with um uh margaret sweatman in in winnipeg and um I was going through like a really rough breakup at the time and we had this sort of like emulation project where we were supposed to um, work off of another uh, poet to like create our own works. Um, And I spent a lot of time like talking through things with her during this time. And these poems that I wrote ended up being like ways to navigate uh, what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's kind of where the, the whole like project emerged from was like this experience and like seeing that, yeah, like, like the outward appeal, which can be like understood as prayer, can be a, a sort of like step towards healing of some kind. So, yeah, I think so. You move so much, Matthew, in your poems between places. And it's almost this like dreamy wandering between locations from line to line in mm-hmm. your book. Um and it happens so breathlessly. It's really fast a lot of the time. It'll be like one line is on the West Coast and suddenly you're in the prairies and then suddenly you're in Toronto in the next line. And I wonder if you can speak to the way that kind of place and intimacy work in your book as well. Um, I think that's some of the poems in there were like written um, when I was like thinking about like when I was going across um, Canada on the bus so like just the energy of like being on the bus and like being in a different part of the country every morning was mm-hmm. kind of fun and then there's like lots of stuff about traveling to like the states and stuff so i think it was just like i don't know how it happened but like a lot of like there's a lot of traveling in the in the book and like a lo- lot of like looking for something in the book so it has like this kind of like nomadic like i don't know uh Flannurial vibe to it, like just traveling, like looking for things and not quite knowing if you're going to find them or not, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that not the title of one of your poems? I think I think one of the poems yeah. is called Flannurial. Yeah. Yeah. The great word. Yeah. I made it up, I think. I don't know if it's actually a word. Yeah. I want to say I made it up. I'm going to I'm going to say I made it up. <laughs> Let the OED register yeah. this podcast as the origin of that word one of them. I hope it catches on. (laughs) (laughs) 
called The Soft Parts of the Body after Nicole Brassard and it's uh I don't know I guess about you know being a human in academia and forgetting what it is to be a body The Soft Parts of the Body Living in the nebula des pensées j'ai perdu mon corps to the vacuum of abstention where words make flesh elusive Skin, something to be pondered. Mais pas touché, pas goûté. I gave myself to bodies of writing, disremembering. How to read lip and tongues, visceral discourse. Of flesh where les jouissons se trouvent in the form of speech and suck. Entre langue et langue. Then I found Soma's naked definition. The body as distinct, but not separable from the mind. And got lost in les parts du corps moelleux which between pursed lips and on outstretched tongue became firm and meaningful. This one is called Trapped in Winnipeg, after Dennis Cooley. Seeing the sunlight gleam of August honey turn cold crystal, you fled the grey-brown snow of Winnipeg at winter's end, scaling wicked mounding walls of filthy ice and slush moats that divide street and sidewalk out to the fringes of our concrete sprawl. Summer's coming, I told you, pointing to the geese honking below cloudscapes overhead, but you needed lick of sun on face, having endured winter's breath nearly six months. I'm going to where trees are cut, where I can sow them, under open sky, you said, before planting your lips on my forehead and turning to board the greyhound, grey-brown, from spring mud, blown dry by spring wind. You escaped to Ontario to bear yourself to hard labor, piecemeal exploitation, with all the mad cosmopolites looking for purpose under thin horizons of loam that coat the stone face of the future forest bed. If it's solitude you seek, you'll find it, in desolation of branch and trunk, in deep brown blood of cuts on knuckles caked with dirt, in torn bodies seeking comfort of flesh at day's end in spirits and pills of Friday nights in camp, in shared laments of fellow planters in search of supplemental flight. I have been there where, above the tree lines, the sky is wide enough to wash your tent with frost well into the mornings of June. Though I elect comfort of concrete underfoot, you've truly chosen the path of being vulnerable. Human exuberance. This poem is called West End Love Song. Um, it's sort of named after Katerina Vermette's uh, North End Love Songs. And both of these are uh, neighborhoods in Winnipeg um, and probably the two most uh, impoverished neighborhoods. Um, and I lived for several years in, in the West End. Um, and this is a sort of like poverty love song uh, deriving from my time there. Um, an experience there. West End Love Song. I met you on the corner of Sergeant and Langside. Take me out, you asked. Not tonight. I was meeting a friend for meatless noodles from somewhere in East Asia. The next time we met, you and I, you proposed 
Buy me a meal, and I'll feed you my flesh. I said thank you, but I can't even afford that chicken in the window. It was the 99-cent pizza shop north side of Ellis. I began to think you were following me when I saw your brown eyes on all the corners. I started buying you meals, and it became a marriage. I love you, I said one night after supper. You took two of your fingers and shoved them deep into my mouth. I'm sorry, you said, but one of us had to gag. So this one's called Blue Potato. Once during a harvest, we found a blue potato, and that was when I started to believe in life on other planets. I had to be a seed from a plant no one knew, and now we were all doomed. This is what happens when you come from a line of potato husbands. All the uncles and men wore hats that hid the eyes. Potatoes, the uncle said. Good yield. They were so basic. Dad told me blue potatoes were magic, and now I can blame him for my overactive imagination. And wow, were we ever rich in the potato department. What I loved were the potato flowers, which I kept fresh in a drinking glass by the sink, under the impression it would live forever in this way in my captivity. There were times I had to grub potatoes from the garden for dinner, and I would sit on the grass thinking gardens were like swimming pools because my logic was sound. As a girl, my grandmother used potato leaves to tell fortunes to know what boy to marry, but when I asked what boy I would marry, she said no boy, a girl. I wanted to be dropped into a metal bowl with water, and when I asked why, she said the potato leaves, and I would just stare at this familiar large pile of dirt wondering what life was under it, and when I lifted up the rocks, I would see all kinds of life, but the adults always had their eyes on the backs of their heads watching me. And I would leave to make potato deliveries or potato trades, potato salads, and dream of growing many eyes and owning my own aisles of produce on another planet, not this planet. So this poem is called George. Maybe you've heard that I'm drunk for George Orwell. Well, I admit that under this tree with the whippoorwills, I'm filled by George Orwell. I should work on my cookery, cook porridge for George to gorge his gorgeous mouth on, but I might lose my spot under the pines with my old George Orwell. What a dream my poor Will makes me dream. I would peel any number of potatoes to please him. Under his whip or will, I'd be defenseless, or well, at least kind of kittenish, and have strange urges to present him tea that I pour well. Oolong or Pico. Well, I'd climb down to him if I were Juliet. His Romeo, at least, would make perfect sense. He'd persuade me to come down to the limehouse and smoke one with him. We'd pull the nightshade from his garden, and I would have to settle to be with him somehow in the shade of this pine with the whippoorwills. This is my poem, Cringer. I've based my entire masculinity on He-Man Master of the Universe's green pet tiger, Cringer. He had such good character, and I wore him like a mask. I breathed in medicines for my lungs for bronchitis. My mother messed up my tiger hair, called me cringer. Dad sort of closed the door to me, for I was not athletic like he. Cringer was shy, but in his mask he became confident. Like a boy in my class, Graham. I was born with a weakness and addicted to cigarettes. I knew I liked boys more than most girls, which was depravity. 
I loved running after them, though I was not built for chasing. I dragged my leg a bit through the drugstores, waiting for my prescription, which came in big brown bottles like liquor and tasted like window cleaner. In the cartoon, Cringer was an embarrassment, though a prophecy said he was not what he seemed to be. My mother slipped the mask over my head, told me just to breathe in while I dreamed of living in the woods with Graham, building a dream house, blending shyness with my outgoingness. I jumped at everything, the possible dangers, a blanket with a chair under it. After breathing in my medicines, I made salad from weeds in the driveway. Dandelion flowers, blue gravel where I, where I imagined blueberry. I was young, hungry, and looking for more than salad, but had no language for it. I went to Graham's birthday, sank his ships with dimes in the bathtub so excited that I closed my airway temporarily. I was not the most powerful man in the universe, and not entirely what I seemed to be just now. It's time for the Dumpster Dive! Alright, so we're going to get into the fun part. Of, I'm so yes. excited. I'm so excited. Yes. We're going to be doing this segment called Dumpster Dive, tentatively. Uh, I think we're kind of throwing a bit of shade at the can-lit dumpster fire that we all live and die in. <laughs> um, maybe not, hopefully not die in. Um, but it's kind of a bastardized version of the Proust questionnaire with a lot more trash and a lot more can-lit. So let's get into it. Into it. All right. Why don't we start out with an easy one? What are you currently reading? What books are gracing your nightstand? Uh, right now, and uh, I just finished All Day I Dream of, of uh, All Day I Dream About Sirens, which I loved completely. I read it in like two hours, so I just was go back mm. and like read poems and dog ear them. I'm also reading Liar by Lynn Crosby. I just started it and it's like really amazing. Ooh. It's like this long poem. And I just started it so I can't really talk about the whole thing, but the first eight pages were so, so good. And Heft by uh, Diwali is oh, yes. I just started that. And you have to hold it in a special way because all the poems are... Yeah. yeah. Oh, and you all were just... poems are, are kind of sideways. They have longer lines yeah. generally or have like two columns. Yeah. And she just won Battle of the Bards. Oh, did she? Yeah, did. yeah. That's she totally did. News. I knew she was going to. I have oh. like a psychic ability. And Matthew, you were recently on the cover of Quill and Choir with Doyali. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. how we met. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Was it just the two of you? Or? And Karen Soli. Okay, I haven't seen this cover yet. Yeah. So it's need to get out there. Perry, what about you? What books are currently gracing your nightstand? Uh, because I'm still writing my thesis, <laughs> I have been reading a lot of B.P. Nichols' The Martyrology. Mm. Which book um, are you on? Well, like the one that the chapter is on, at least predominantly, is uh, Gifts, Books 7 and... Um, and it's kind of like it, it, it counts as like seven and eight, but it's just called seven and, um, <laughs> and then it's followed by nine, which is like a, a, a musical composition, uh, with him and, uh, some fellow named Gerhardt, I believe. Um, and otherwise, yeah, I mean, like I haven't been reading much outside of like thesis stuff, like, cause I'm reading like, I don't know, theory and criticism and whatnot. 
Um, but I'm really looking forward to reading um, Joshua Whitehead's Full Metal Indigiqueer. Ooh, yes. So good. Yeah. It's currently good. on my bookshelf. It, it's, <laughs> I read that one in one sitting. Yeah. Because it just it wraps you into another world. <laughs> Joshua Whitehead's Johnny Appleseed is on my to read list. Ooh. I don't often get into fiction, not because I don't enjoy it, just because poetry tends to dominate. And that's there's some fiction books I just have to go out and pick up. Like David Cherry Andy's brother. I have oh, to get yes. that. It is gorgeous and will make you cry. <laughs> um, but it is worth it. It's beautiful. Um, I'm thinking of what's on my stand. And I think it's a uh cheap and cheesy mystery novel so i'm <laughs> not gonna go novels. shout it out they're so good yeah i get sucked in as soon as there's any kind of mystery mm-hmm. any kind of puzzle yeah um i am i think i mentioned this at the last last time we recorded which was only a few days ago um <laughs> but i'm still also reading uh amber dawn's sodom road exit which is <gasps> oh, amazing so, so far it's i've gotten scary. in the part with the the ghost is happening it and scares it's me fantastic i couldn't yeah it's it's like watching unsolved mysteries as a kid it freaked me out and like amber don's book totally freaks me out but in a good way it's very good i am mm. excited for this haunted roller coasters and things i am currently reading ali blythe's hymn switch which also came out with matthew's book yeah, yeah. from goose lane this spring and also Ariel Twist Disintegrate Dissociate, which is one that I have been intending to just take an afternoon and luxuriate in. There's some of those poetry books that you don't mind reading a bit and putting it down, but it's one I want to have in a full sitting. I want to <clears throat> devour it all at once and give it the time it deserves. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm reading. All right. What is in your recent writing search history or any like weird Google searches that you can think of that you've made in writing processes? Uh, my last one, I was writing a poem about George Michael because when he died on Christmas Day, we were in Los Ooh. Angeles and I wanted to remember certain beaches we had been to. So I had to like <laughs> look those up and then I have a bunch of notes on my phone that I can just read from because they're stupid. Please do. Yes. <laughs> so sometimes I'll be on the bus and I'll have like what I think is a great idea. And then one of them is just C-E-B-L-353, but I don't know. That might have been the <laughs> license plate of the car that almost hit me. This also might be the passwords to all Matthews. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might be. You can try them. And then I have poem bits and I just have the word star choice. And then I have the sentence, worry about the less important. And then my star choice. And then hang my head out the window like a dog. And then ate, I ate the legs off a croissant. And then I have froggy went a courtin. And then the line, I need to come back down to earth. Because someone said it on the bus. And I was like, that's a good line. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What was the thing? Froggy? Froggy went a courtin. Apparently it's a, mo- a cartoon movie that someone told me that I needed to watch. <laughs> But I don't know what it's about. I like that without the context in yeah. the yeah. list. Yeah. You've got a list poem going <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perry, any recent um, I gems? recently wrote a poem called Bible about a bisexual bull. Um, 
and uh and, and in it i i tried to incorporate as many um bovine sexual innuendos as i could yes. and so i had to like <laughs> search all these different names um and i think uh my favorite that i came up with was netflix and chillingham Netflix and Chillingham. Do you guys remember <laughs> that cartoon Ferdinand? And Ferdinand oh. was just like a really sensitive bull and would just always want to smell flowers and stuff. I think I saw like a clip of that. But yeah, I, haven't seen I the think whole they remade movie. it, but there yeah. was a cartoon like that was made before that. Yeah. Yeah. If you like cow sexual innuendos, there's a song by the artist Doja Cat called Moo. Oh, Doja Cat is so good. I'm so happy you know about Doja Cat. <laughs> I was like, am I the only one that knows about this? <laughs> also, this podcast is fully here to endorse any and all dad puns and non-dad puns. <laughs> any puns of any sort. Especially daddy puns. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into those later. <laughs> Our next question. What is your trashy pleasure? It can be a television show, maybe a magazine you read that you know is terrible. Or, or a junk a, food. A junk food. Yeah. <laughs> book series. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this problem where I order McDonald's really late on Uber Eats. <laughs> yes. And I will sit in bed and eat cheeseburgers and watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Like any, even ones I've already seen. And um, it's so rewatchable. It is. Yeah. It totally is. And um, my friend made me watch all of Lindsay Lohan's um, beach beach club or beach. Oh yes, that resort show that she had. Yes. So I watched that, and it was really, show? really terrible. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it would be. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the most glorious, unapologetic yeah. way. Yeah, it was really, really bad. And then one time when. One of my exes, we watched every season of Survivor together. <laughs> That's what we would do. So I've watched like all, except for the last two ones that just came out. Like I've watched every season of Survivor. Perry, any um, any ideas here? <laughs> yeah, it was Trashy What? Trashy, trashy Pleasure, really. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess the one that I came up with uh, just now is <clears throat> similar to Matthew's, um, except... We don't have Uber Eats here. We have Skip the Dishes. Yes. Um, which I first encountered in Winnipeg a number of years ago. Dangerous encounter that was. Um, <laughs> but uh, Skip the Dishes is decidedly bad here in Fredericton. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so, there are like five options. <laughs> yeah. And all of them are fast food. Um, a, a couple other things too. But um, because of how mediocre it is and like the good restaurants that are that are available are restaurants that I go to in person. Um, and so, uh, every once in a while, um, I order fast food, um, through skip the dishes. Um, and so you like, it's delivered to me. Um, it's fast food. And so like those two things combined are already bad enough. And then I get stoned (laughs) and eat it in my bed watching something. I'm sure. I identify (laughs) so strongly with this. Yes. For any Fredericktonians listening, I highly recommend ordering in from Fredericton's Waffle Station on the weekend. I don't think there's anything better than getting waffles hand delivered to your home so you can 
rewatch what we do in the shadows for the millionth time. Oh, yeah. Are we talking about the movie or Hi, the new to TV Elvin series? The and now sponsored <sighs> by the Waffle House. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if we uh, do get a sponsorship from the Waffle House, yes, please. Yeah. Please, please get in touch. <laughs> Send us all your waffles. Also, what we do in the shadows is the best vampire movie of all time. Yes. I yeah. cannot <laughs> wait for the... I, I need to get the TV series. Are they going to do a werewolf one? I heard they, were they were talking doing... about a sequel. Yeah, we are wolves. Yes, it. we are wolves. Yeah, not swearwolves. Oh, that would have been better. Swearwolves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm currently working on an embroidery that says werewolves, not swearwolves. Yeah. <laughs> but werewolves is also such a good pun. Yeah. Yeah. We are wolves. Yeah. Yeah. I get yeah. it. We are wolves. We do not use contractions. <laughs> Uh, the next question, I'm going to jump into this one. Um, what is your drag name or what would it be if you don't have one? Oh, my God. I have so many and already picked up. also your pen name, if it would be different and or why would it be? So I have a ton of drag names already. <laughs> I have Hilda Climbs, which is like a Hilda Climb. I have Beth Mayhem. Tiana Cookie, like Tiana Cookie, <laughs> um, Glamber Johns. Oh, um, I have so many. I can't think of the other ones, but those are a, that's a lot. And I think if I had a pen name, it would be Glamber Johns. Maybe it's so perfect. Yeah. Glamber Johns. It yeah. sounds like you could get away with writing quite a lot of like really like Harlequin level romance novels. I would love to write cover. something like yeah. that, like so crazily. It would be so much fun. Yeah, Perry. Um, I only have two. Um, one of which is a serious one. Uh, Scarlett Manon. She's she's very serious, and so there's no there's no pun there. A very serious queen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but then uh, Jenny Tails is my other one. Oh, that's a good one. Thank that you. Is yeah. Excellent. <laughs> you you have performed under this name before? Um, no. Appeared um, under this name before? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Like I, uh, growing up, I would uh, sometimes dress drag, um, but I never like had a drag name. Um, but because I grew up in a in a rural community, um, mm. I learned very quickly that the only safe time to to dress drag was on Halloween or. Or in theater, and so like those were the ways that I that I ended up doing it. Um, but no, like uh, these these names that I came up with like uh, were were much later, um, and I have not actually um, performed in drag mm. really. Not yet. Not yet. Yes. <laughs> Perhaps your thesis defense will be an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sure. laughs> yeah. I never said my pen name. Oh um, yes, yeah. But um, I'm gonna take the easy way out and go with Perry Rhymer, where Rhymer instead of R E I M E R is spelt Stop. as in one who rhymes. I think that pun has been made by Lauren Korn introducing you at a QWERTY Reads event. Oh, is that so? I believe. She huh. did introduce you as That's Perry Dimer, the one who rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something of that sort. You do not get to escape this, Rebecca. I have thought a lot about possible drag names. Um, <laughs> I love it. I 
have complicated feelings about all the ones I've come up with. Um, Because I I don't know that I want them to be very gendered. Mm. Or I want them to be like so absurd they could be any and all genders. My friend thought of one and it's Shania Twink. Oh, yes. Shania Twink. That is so good. I do kind of feel like I want if I if I end up with a drag name, it has to be like Spanish compatible because that is like enough a part of my life that I've neglected that I want. If I if I ever end up in drag, I want it to be getting in touch with that mm-hmm. in whatever cartoonish way I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. What about your pen name? Pen do names? you know that one? Hmm. I have. Oh, this is going way back. But I used to post in certain web forums that were all like nerdy book po- book forums. This was like way before social media was majorly a thing. This was in the like Angel Fire and like <gasps> oh my god, yeah, Geo Cities almost. But like yeah, that sort of part of the internet. But I posted a lot as I don't know why I picked the name, but Adrian Ann Wells. I used good. to use that. And I, I think it was just because I really liked alliteration at the time. And I just came up with that somehow, like probably stealing the name out of a book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's how I used to go as on the Internet. And I don't know why. And I like I the name Adrian. Mm. Yeah, it's a good name. I like it. Yeah. I feel like it was neutral enough that I could get into it. And I was like suspicious enough of the Internet as someone who knew very little about it and had very little Internet literacy that I knew I needed a fake name to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Were um, I to use a pen name now, I'd probably go for something different. I like the idea of initials, Ooh, but yes. I don't have any initials because I have no middle name. You could go yeah. RS something. Yeah, that could be fun. I'd have to play around with it and find something. Jenna, do you have any? I do. So something I was called growing up because kids are mean and make any name into something perverted sounding was a genitalia. Mm-hmm. So one of them was genitalia, very, which is oh, very yeah, close to sure. Perry's. Yeah. <laughs> Rivalry. But I also have <laughs> genitalia bay. Oh. And then my boy drag name is Jacques Le Pousset. Yes. Oh. <laughs> and then my my fallback in this one I really like is Donna Bourgeoisie, which is a play on down, I love that one. down with the bourgeoisie. Yeah. <laughs> a sentiment we could all get behind. Yeah. Actually, you know? And my pen name would be Gabrielle St. John. I was mm-hmm. almost a Gabrielle and my mom didn't want me to get called Gabby for short, which I turned out being Gabby anyway. So it, it would be the name I almost was and then St. John, my hometown. And it just kind of has that like almost a Harlequin romance writer's yeah. ring to it. Mm-hmm. It does sound like like almost Acadian, but like anglicized Acadian as yeah. well. There's some regional stuff going on there. Down with the bourgeoisie. The book that's on your bookshelf that you're most ashamed that you enjoy. Oh. That's heavy. <laughs> it would probably be my, like, I have Agatha Christie books left over from school. Oh, they're so good, though. They're so good, they're but so they're, like. They're so bad, but they're so good. Yeah, they're so bad good. So probably those, like. Yeah. 
And a lot of them are not appropriate anymore because they're like just based on the time she was writing. They are in. so racist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like all of them are like little puzzle games, which I like, but like a lot of the language isn't like really bad now. It, yeah. To say I the least. Reread Murder in Mesopotamia while I was like staying with my parents and I found all my old books. You're like, wow, all these crime novels. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was just horrifying. Yeah. For all the wrong reasons. Perry, do you have any? Any shame reads? Mm. You got 50 Shades of Grey on your bookshelf. I don't. <laughs> you have 50 Shades of Hey. <laughs> 50 Shades of Hey. Mm. Um, Getting back to the cow puns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe like some Raymond Chandler mystery novels. Because, um, like, while like they're pretty good hard boiled mystery, once again, super fucking problematic. Yes. Uh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, but really enjoyable otherwise. <laughs> Jenna do you have any shame reads on your bookshelf so in high school I bought every Chuck Palahniuk book oh wow there is they're still on my shelf because there's something about a book you read when you're younger that you really appreciated you have a hard time getting rid of or distancing yourself from just the toxic masculinity (laughs) and yeah some problematic themes and sexism and yeah. I could go into the whole thing, but toxic masculinity is another good way of uh, describing Raymond Chandler mystery novels. Yeah. It's yeah. A good way of describing like 90% of literature, I think, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially literature back then. Yeah. Back then is whenever you want to put it to. Yeah. <laughs> it could be last year. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, the same allure that like the gritty Netflix <clears throat> reboots have where it's getting into like taboo territory and that's what draws you in. But you're also like, some of this is getting really problematic. <laughs> yeah. It's the whole like trying to be edgy just to be edgy. And yeah. it's like, y- you can, but should you? Rebecca. Hmm. What are my shame reads? Your shame reads. Uh, this is gonna sound pretentious, um, but I have <laughs> a lot of like Albert Camus on my bookshelf that I love and it's got the same like I am maybe part of me is very much still a like 20 year old white philosophy bro in his like (laughs) second year of a philosophy program um yeah I took like I attempted a minor in philosophy and I had some actually really fantastic professors who got me really into Camus without all the pretension somehow Mm. um so yeah i have like i think two or three different copies of the stranger um mostly in french i have one in english i think did they make that into a movie the stranger i hope not i think they might have actually in the 60s they probably did and it was probably terrible (laughs) what is the is he he takes over the life of someone else or something like that i forget um, he shoots someone on the beach and then has an existential crisis and angst about oh, it. Oh, I'm thinking of The yeah. Tenant, I think. Okay. That one <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a book. I think it's just mm-hmm. a movie. Mm. I think. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, Camus and then like a lot of depressing Sartre and he's also pretty problematic in other ways. But yeah, I like have them on an embarrassingly visible shelf 
which just makes me feel like I'm that person. When people come over, that's the first thing they're going to see. And I'm just that person. But, you know, the first thing people do is check out your bookshelves. I know. Yeah, I check out bookshelves and then I check out the fridge. I don't know why. That's actually pretty solid assessment of someone's personality. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know why I do it. The fridge is really the bookshelf of the kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. Revelations. It really is. not a line in a poem that Perry will write in the future. You need to write that into a poem. We need to like add this to the dumpster dive questions. Like what's in your fridge and what does your fridge look like? Yeah. Yeah. In my fridge right now at home, there's an old box of rice. Um, one of those Tupperware containers of rice and then tons of condiments and four pieces of pizza. Oh. Really old pizza. Is Matthew can support having just checked out my fridge. There is a half empty bottle of stale wine. It's delicious. A lot of condiments. There's a homemade coconut oil and sugar scrub that I haven't touched in a couple months <laughs> that Nate has been Nate, my boyfriend, has been waiting to trash forever. But I just keep holding on to it. And two apples that have been in there for way, way, way too long to still be viable. Are they still good? Because I had an apple in my fridge for so long and it never went bad. And I was very concerned. It's like, do you do you still eat it if you know how long it's been in there and it still looks okay? Yes, because apples preserve amazingly in the fridge. Yeah, they get tasteless Mm. after a while, but they're usually fine. Yeah. And I mean, like, even once they get kind of tasteless, you can still put them in like a pie. Yeah. And they'll work yeah. out all right. Um, but yeah, like if it still looks all right, it's all right. I was yeah. just weirded out by how fresh the apple in my fridge still looked. Yeah. <laughs> how like, long was it? Like no there? blemishes. Six months? Damn. Something like yeah. that. Just at the back of the fridge. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. Like, how long are they going from like when was from, it like, picked? Being harvested. Yeah. How long were they in shipping? Yeah. yeah. Probably a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Perry, what's in your fridge? What's in my fridge? Um, I'm a very disciplined person when it comes to food outside of my um, McDonald's. fast food. Skipping <laughs> yeah. dishes, uh, binge eating. <laughs> yeah. um, and I share my fridge with my roommate. Um, and all of my food is uncharacteristically on the right. Um <laughs> Perry, speaking as a very firm leftist, <laughs> has made a scandalous admission here. And so uh, the furthest to the right is where I keep my dairy, my cream, <laughs> my yogurt, wow. my cheese. Um, and below that, I have my eggs. Um, but then just to the left of my dairy and eggs is where I'll keep my prepared food, which currently consists of uh, chili and... Roasted carrot and ginger soup. That sounds delicious. Oh my god! Um, Can Perry come in like the Fab Five <laughs> and fix my fridge? Yeah. Perry will revolutionize um, everyone's fridge. I spend I enough time soup. cooking my own food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's in your fridge? Uh, not a lot because I keep forgetting to do groceries. Amen. Yeah. Um, I do have like, uh, like a tall bottle. Of like a maple porter that I bought at 
the liquor store, like, I think last summer. And I keep thinking, like, this is a a special occasion beer, but, like, never drinking it. So I don't know if it's still good or, like, (laughs) it's just a fixture now. (laughs) That and, like, several things of almond milk is my fridge at most times. It's okay. I had a not good beer in my fridge previously when we moved to our new apartment. Um, We finally got rid of it. It was a Colt 45 and we had bought it to pour one out when my family's cat had died. (laughs) And then we just never did because who wants to take a drink of Colt 45? So when we moved, we we had our little ceremony and that was okay. But at least you have a good, <laughs> good fridge beer. Yeah. I don't know who like I don't I don't really like the taste of Colt Forty Five, but it's sweet, right? I don't know. I think it's like not far off from gasoline. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds awfully pungent. I think I took yeah. one drink of it once, but it just wasn't for me. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's like didn't one of your poems tonight that you read uh, talk about how like a certain beer tasting like piss. Yes, Budweiser. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm coming for you. We're never going to get a sponsorship from Budweiser. Yeah. But no, I think we could do without that one. <laughs> I'd rather the waffles. There's Super Bowl commercials with the puppies that, like, the little puppy that gets lost. Yeah. Gets me every time. <laughs> I subjected myself to the Super Bowl this last time around. Subjected yourself. Um, yeah. Sounds about right. And uh, it was bad. Uh, I don't know how people do this by choice every year. It seems no offense to anyone who watches the Super Bowl here. It just seems like really hyper stimulating, like too many flashing lights and colors, and also football. That we did the halftime show. It was Maroon Five. Oh yeah, (laughs) that's why. Remember when Lady Gaga did it and she jumped off that thing? Remember when Beyonce did it? Oh, that was great. And everyone was upset because. Capitalism, were, yeah. And That's what's racism. upsetting about everything about the Super Bowl. Yeah, capitalism. Yeah, the ultimate villain. Well, thank you both for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I had such a good time. Us. It's wonderful to get to hang out with you both. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it was just like a really good hangout, and yeah. I forgot that the microphones were here. That's that's what we want. That is the goal. And I think that's it for our first official episode of Elman Ampersand. I, yes. We're the first one. You were the first oh. interview. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. So thank you so much for helping us inaugurate this because it's it's going to get really fun from here. And you guys have set a really fantastic tone. Thank you. You've been wonderful for guests. Us. Yeah. Um, before we sign off officially... Are there any online places where you would like people to find you? Yes. Twitter. I'm at Croon Juice. Which is a fantastic handle. Thank Such you. a good handle. I'm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And Perry? Yeah, good question. I used to be on Twitter. I mean, technically I still am, but I never actually <laughs> go on it because, oh, man, it's such a toxic place. <laughs> if you want to find my music, I'm Perry Jerome. Mm-hmm. Oh. So Google Perry Jerome or Perry Reimer and you will find music and or poetry and or an unused twitter page (laughs) Uh, whatever takes your fancy and matthew your book 
can obviously be found at Goose Lane. It can be found at gooselane.ca. Yeah. And or you can come to my cafe in Toronto and I'll sell you a copy in front of the barista machine. Yeah. Support your local bookstores <laughs> and your yes. local writers who are working as baristas. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Also local bookstores, probably more importantly. Yes. Well, writers are pretty important. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Time never seems right, but I'll hold on to the thought because it's nice to think the world might slow down for us. Alma Nepersand is produced and edited by Jenna Noor. It's recorded by Adam Ganong. Intro music was performed by Adam Washburn, and additional music was performed by Wangled Teb. A special thank you to this week's guests, Matthew Walsh and Perry Reimer. Alman Ampersand is hosted by Jenna Lynn Albert and Rebecca Salazar. This show is made possible thanks to the city of Fredericton. Playing us out this week is Aaron Muir, a musician from St. John, New Brunswick. Watching the river as it rose